From star-crossed lovers in the galaxy far, far away, to young Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon butting heads, to the coolest sentient rock this side of the Hydean Way, the characters and works of Claudia Gray stand proud on the bookshelves of Star Wars fans all over the world, and we're going to talk about some of them with the author herself today. You're listening to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Johnny Maynard, better known to some of you for haunting your Instagram feeds with Star Wars ramblings as Journals of the Wills. And I'm joined today by one of the usual suspects. It's Chris Davis, a.k.a. SW Book Collector. Hi, Chris. Hello. Good to be here. And of course, we're extremely excited to be joined today by the one, the only, Claudia Gray. Claudia, welcome to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's super to have you here. Uh, We appreciate that you're really tight for time today, so so we do really appreciate you being here. Uh, Let's just get into it then. Okay, great. Yes, I'm just going to jump straight in with the question, if that's okay. what has been your defining experience with Star Wars? Um, not necessarily your first experience, but what's your most defining experience as a fan and as a writer? It's hard because, you know, the original movie came out the summer I turned seven. So I saw it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I can't really define one moment no. in all of that because back in the days of the monoculture, something as popular as star wars there wasn't anything else as popular in star wars so it was omnipresent it was everywhere all the time and that was fantastic and i had a bunch of little toys that if i had kept i would be a millionaire um all these sorts of things so that was really a big thing i do i did not camp out but i did stand in line five hours for phantom menace oh wow uh i did do that yeah, I, I fell short of like the full devotion, you know, <laughs> of the people with tents and campgrounds, but five hours. And um, as a writer, honestly, my favorite moment anyway, uh, when I turned in the draft of Lost Stars, it came back with a few edits. And then they said, listen, if you can change the last big sequence, you know, instead of having the Star Destroyer blow up, have it crash onto Jakku, a planet called Jakku, will tie it into the new movie. And I was like, sure, that's not difficult to do. So I did that. And literally the day I handed it in was the day the second trailer came out. And if you remember that begins with that long shot of Ray on her speeder crossing the desert, and she goes past the crash destroyer mm. and that John Williams music was playing and I saw it and I got chills and I'm still kind of getting chills thinking about it, but it's going to be really hard to top that moment. Yeah. That's such a big moment in the canon now as well, because that was mm-hmm. the first time that we saw the battle of Jakku. I think so, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, what, what, what a moment to get. Um, thinking about something, that you've written more recently, Tales of Light and Life mm-hmm. has been out for a month or so now. Uh, and your contribution to that collection was after the fall, picking up, you know, the crew of the vessel, you know, yes. the clue that's in the title, After the Fall of Starlight Beacon. How did you decide what you were going to write for that one? Um, 
it was part of all of us figuring out what we didn't want to and didn't want to do. And, um, it's really weird because I'm hugely into the Jedi and I'm hugely into the mystics. And yet I've been really drawn to writing the non Jedi in this. I don't know why. Uh, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to show this little ragtag mm. crew of the vessel, uh, whom I do love a lot, but I also thought it would be a good way to show what, what is the average person at this point feel like? How do, how are they interpreting, uh, what's going on? How does it feel if you're not one of the Jedi and you're not, uh, higher up in the Republic, which in some ways is very much like lost stars. You know, I, I guess I'm always interested in how the players who aren't at the center of the drama, mm. how they're affected, uh, how they learn about what's going on, their points of view. Yeah, yeah, Ab absolutely. And I think something that the Star the, the canon does really, really well now is letting us see those sort of street level stories. Chris, I know you're a big fan of the street level stories as well, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, books like Most Wanted, Crash of Fate. Um, I love those. And also, I know it's not necessarily street level, but, you know, as in Lost Stars, you've got characters that aren't, you know, big Jedi, you know, they're just, they're normal people just happen to be two foot to the left of major events living their lives um but no it, they definitely appeal to me more because there's only so far you can take those big jedi characters before you've you'd step in something you haven't seen before you've seen before but with you know it's how the the normal everyday people handle that universe i think is incredibly appealing so i agree speaking of characters though of the characters that you've been able to create and develop, which do you feel like are yours or that you feel a particular ownership or stewardship of? You mean in the High Republic or throughout? Throughout. Yeah, any of it. Um, obviously, I'm very attached to Thane and Sienna from Lost Stars um, mm. and Nash Windrider from that book, actually. I'd really like to be able to revisit him because... Uh, he's a zealot and he gets to a pretty scary place and I'm very interested to see what he does, especially now that we've seen a little bit more of the galaxy in that time, you mm. know, um, the way things are changing with bounty hunters and where the Republic is and where it's not all of this. Uh, so I'm interested in that very much want to revisit Ransom Castrofo from Bloodline. He's my favorite uh, character. Sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to jump in there. I, I love Ransom Castrofo. I love writing him and I'd <laughs> wanted to write him again for years. And I kept saying like, I want to do the book where Leia busts him out, you know? And then they were like, hey, you know, another author wants to use Castrofo. Is it okay if he's alive? And I was like, sure. As long as it's not when he gets busted out of jail. And Del Rey was like, what about him getting busted out of jail, you know? It was not the author's fault, but I was like, you could have just said you didn't want the book, guys. Um, <laughs> you could have just said that. But uh, yeah, I still hope to get to revisit him someday. Uh, and obviously, like I said, I'm very into my little vessel crew uh, in the High Republic. You mentioned um, Nash Windrider there as a zealot. What is it that makes characters like him so interesting? What is it about zealots that we like reading? I'm not sure. I mean, I think we both like 
I think we both sort of scorn and yet envy their single-mindedness of purpose. Zealots don't have doubts. No. You know, they just charge forward and they're not like this. And yet at the same time, zealots are necessarily, you know, blinded to a lot. And maybe it's that, um, uh, that mixture. I don't know. Yeah, that would be my theory. Yeah. It, it's fascinating because I guess High Republic Fizz 2 has a lot of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. running through it. Um, uh, and the way that the fans, the, the book fans, embraced some of those characters so quickly, you know, the path of the open hand and the Rose mm-hmm. sisters, all of that stuff. You know, yeah. m- only months after publication, there were people cosplaying these characters at yeah. Star Wars Celebration, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. there's, definitely some, there's definitely something to it. The, the, the fan base is hungry for a good zealot, I think. Yes. Uh, and again, like, I think the zealots, they make the other characters, they're an excellent sounding board or something to bounce off of for other characters who are maybe more conflicted or more uncertain. Uh, You know, up against that zealot, you get a better sense of exactly where this person's subtleties are, maybe. I mean, if I could interject quickly on a back onto Ransom Castafer as well. Um, I mean, I think a really good, if you want to revisit him, I think he's the prime candidate to become the new chancellor, Mm. you know, post Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) I just think he is. I mean, who else is there? (laughs) i mean i know he's been through some things he's gonna have to step down i mean i feel like nash is a big part of um i i feel like if he lives that long he would be in the first order you know yeah Uh, i think i think he's a scary dude um i don't think he's necessarily unreachable but i think he's put himself in a place and time where nobody's going to try to reach him or really, I mean, he had to become a zealot or else he would have to actually deal with the fact that the empire he's sworn to serve is the one that destroyed his planet. And he can't reconcile those things in any way, except believing the empire is absolutely good. And yeah. they were absolutely justified in what they did to Alderaan. So he has to believe that. That's the only thing that's saving him from just unfathomable grief. For sure. And of course, the the destruction of Alderaan kind of being the big dramatic cataclysmic moment sort of in that era of the Star Wars timeline. But you know, think, thinking back to the High Republic, you know, it's known for these big moments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, putting characters through life changing, life ending plot developments sometimes. Um, Guilty. You know, it, uh huh. Is there anything you'd like to tell us in advance of Phase Three? Are you going to break our hearts again? Now we understand that any answer to this will be evasive and non-committal, but you know. Yes, thank you, thank you for understanding that. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's not the the Care Bears picnic. You know, there no. there are real risks and consequences and stakes involved. But I will say that I am super excited about where phase three is going. And Mm -hmm. I am allowed to say originally, and it's been this way in the other um, phases, the last Del Rey book would come out and then the last um, young adult book would follow. And we switched the orders on these because I'm writing the last young adult book. And I was like, I do not want to follow that ending 
adult <laughs> novel. That's like going, I want the Beatles as my opening act. You know, yeah. don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to be awesome. You're all back to first places, aren't you, in terms of who's writing <laughs> that final wave of this phase. Isn't that right? Yeah, I had yeah. to take phase two off. I enjoy doing the High Republic, but it is very time intensive. Because you're sure. having to read other people's outlines and and uh, drafts, etc. cetera. Uh, and I was like, I've contracted to write other books. I have to go and do this for a little while. Yeah, uh, but sure. I've just begun work on uh, on Into the Light. They've announced the name. So uh, I'm just can't working on wait. that. We can't wait. We can't I wait. Mean, so, I mean, going back to what you're saying about phase two there, um, obviously... You, in phase two you had the one-shot quest of the jedi i did have that um, which was very well received um so well I'm... received i haven't managed to get a copy yet claudia i didn't get it... mine until like last month <laughs> i mean i didn't it was hard to get uh -huh. yeah. i mean what was the what was the aim with that one shot what did what did you want to try and um get across well um I mean, this goes even further back than the rest of phase two. Like this goes almost into the realm of legendary among the Jedi. The, you know, uh, uh, Barnabas is real, Vix is real, but you know, it's distant. And I'd long been really interested in the idea of a Jedi who communes with the force primarily through dreams and visions. Uh, somebody who really is just interpreting these images, kind of like Luke in the cave, but this would be somebody who is deliberately looking for these experiences and gets everything sort of an image and metaphor. And by necessity, this is a better character to have in a comic where uh, the readers actually get these images as well. So that seemed like the right thing. And we wanted it to have a sort of Arthurian feel to it. Yeah. And um, I don't know if either of you saw it. I think it came out in 2021, maybe, that, that movie, The Green Knight with the Dev Patel. Yes. I haven't seen it. I know of it, yeah. but yeah. yeah. That was exactly the right mood because, mm. you know, there were whole sequences where you're like, did that really happen? And yet it didn't feel like they were messing with you. You know, it felt like this movie takes place in the id somewhere. Yeah. And um, there were just such really cool little subtle nods to everything and um things like in the background you just see a dragon skeleton in, yeah. you know, in the ground that they're just walking by because you would just see dragon skeletons uh every once in a while or um the alicia vikander character has essentially worked up a steampunk version of early photography in it so you get the chemicals and the plates and all of that so um you know i wasn't able to do quite that deep a dive but I wanted it to be something where Barnabas trusts this vision and trusts his actions uh, very implicitly and hopefully for readers to go on that journey with him. It also um, seeded some things for phase three as well. Obviously, the first issue of Shadow of Starlight came out and one character revealed in that was featured quite prominently in your one shot probably more there than anywhere else mm -hmm. in the i'm talking about aslin rao obviously mm -hmm. yeah so um so yeah i mean was that planned at that point that that was gonna 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of the phase stuff, phase two stuff, we wanted people to be able to enjoy in and of itself and hopefully quest of the Jedi. You could just pick that up and be like, this is a mystical Jedi adventure. And, um, but when you see that it does tie to so many things and as more of phase three happens, I think you guys are going to see more and more, mm-hmm. you know, the history of all of these things coming forward to affect what's happening in phase three and that the Jedi are drawing from to learn how to combat uh, the nameless. Fantastic. Fantastic. The High Republic, uh, before we move on from the High Republic, rather, what is your favorite High Republic story, Claudia? Now, I mean, it can be one of yours, but, you know, (laughs) maybe maybe it's somebody else's. Um, I really liked uh, Daniel's Midnight Horizon. Oh, yes. That was excellent. I think uh, Kevin's run with the comics has been excellent as well which is not to say i don't like the things from other authors in no, this, or my own stuff i do but those were two that i really felt uh caught up in horizon is something special i think yes and yeah, i think when all yeah. this is said and done it's gonna be one of the one of the works that uh is highlighted as a standout in my opinion yeah i mean what is great about that whole bunch of of folk that you have working together on, on on that project claudia is you know it, it and we talked to lots of different folks in the sort of in the book fan community uh, and everybody has everybody gravitates towards different things and different writers are are, are sort of resonating with, with different folk in different ways so there's something for everybody there in, in the high republic you know if you want a bit of sort of fast-paced whimsy djo has you covered with uh you know the high republic adventures books mm-hmm. you know or, or if you're after something uh a little bit more serious you know there's um there's the the adult novels that that you and kevin have put out are <laughs> certainly ticking those boxes uh-huh. you know um it, it it's it's a remarkable achievement and we, we can't wait to see what what's going to come next yeah we very much wanted there to be something for everybody we didn't yeah. want to target this only at one kind of fan yeah you know um different people enjoy different stripes of star Wars and we wanted it. It's not going to feel like star Wars unless you see those stripes, if that makes sense. We interviewed um, Justina Island and um, Daniel Jose Alder as well uh, previously. And we asked them if they could sum up um, phase three in one word. And Justina Island said triumphant um, Mm -hmm. and Daniel said, no, well, he didn't. He didn't say a word, but he massively disagreed with Justina's. So, where where do you fall on that? I mean, triumphant isn't wrong. I might at the end also use the word wisdom. Okay, great, hmm. awesome, wisdom. Hmm. That may be the kind of thing I get more pumped up about than the average, <laughs> average fan, but it means a lot to me. Okay, fair enough. Um, moving away from the horror public again, and I, I know you've talked about it briefly um but lost stars is obviously extremely well loved um and still regularly pops up on folks lists of favorites or most recommended star wars books did you have any idea at the time how exactly how well received it would be well in fact i had no thoughts about its reception whatsoever i mean 
and this is weird as a person who read a ton of the old EU uh, and still owns a chunk of it. Um, I did not understand how many people read Star Wars books. I just didn't. Mm. Uh, and so I was writing this thing with no thought to how that was going to go. I, I was just excited. Uh, the few times that, you know, I went in any Star Wars forums or something, there was you know, quite a bit of feeling, you know, they're like, we don't need young adult in Star Wars. And I was like, mm. I got bad news for you about the movies, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I, I wasn't worried about that. And, um, mm. you know, and also when the book came out, it was not one of the books that was highlighted in particular. No, it was Aftermath, wasn't it? was probably yeah, the more highlights um, at that time. Yeah, and, um, you know, so no, I didn't really have any sense that that book would be that beloved. I knew, the first time I knew something had gone really right with it, I mean, it was like, you know, two days after it was out or something. I was still on Twitter, whatever the hell it is now, uh, at that time. And I started getting all these people going, chapter 16 or whatever number it is. How could you? And that's the destruction of Alderaan. You know, and I was like, guys, <laughs> that was not me. But I also knew if people were feeling like freshly emotional about it, they were they were in the spirit of the book. Like it, yeah. it shocked and horrified the characters and people experienced that with the characters. So I knew that that had gone well. And I guess, you know, it was probably, it was the first attempt at sort of introducing Star Wars readership to, to YA, I guess, as, as a genre, right? Mm -hmm. as a sort of, yeah, um... I mean, young adult really didn't even exist as a category before, you know, the early aughts, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was only emerging in like 2005-ish, maybe 2004, but... Uh, yeah, and I guess Star Wars had sort of dabbled with, I guess, more middle grade stuff in the past, Galaxy of Fear and those sorts of, you know, there were, there were junior books, but not nothing in what we now call the YA space. So I guess it probably was a bit of a gamble, but just mm -hmm. look at it now, you know, the YA sits at the heart of something like the High Republic, you know? Oh, totally. And you know and it makes sense i mean you know all of this george lucas really famously draws from joseph campbell uh mm -hmm. quite a bit and you want to hit these mythological themes and a lot of those are based around a coming of age experience yeah and that's really all young adult is 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 fiction that centers the coming of age experience so uh it was a natural fit for star wars it was just a matter of actually you know setting it apart and you know having it be what it was but you know plenty of the OEU things there are books that you could go back now and say well that would probably be more of a young adult book now uh but anyway yes i i, I had not a clue they would call me just because star wars never had done a quote unquote oh, young adult book. It, it worked a treat it worked a treat um, <laughs> The next question that I have on my list was all about Ransom Castorfo and how you felt about someone else having to break him out of jail. So I guess we we can skip over that one. <laughs> no, well, also it is Castorfo. They got it wrong on the audiobook. Oh no. I now turn in a pronunciation sheet with every draft. It's like here's oh, how we fantastic. say this. And that came from Lucasfilm Castorfo. You know, he was originally a character from one of 
George Lucas's very, you know, sort of limited treatments for an episode seven, if he ever did one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I changed him a lot, but dude's name was Castrofo. And then all of a sudden this happens with the audiobook. But yeah, I'll be I'll be correcting that till the end of time. Oh, man. And long may he reign as the first Supreme Chancellor of the new New Republic. Oh, wow. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so we, one of our members in our community is interviewed you recently. Jason goes by this Dad's Reads. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we listened to that interview with you. Um, and it became quite clear that you have a big love for Andor. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God, Yes. So, if you want to talk about that, that's great. But also, if you could write one story for Andor, what would it be? Or what would you like to sort of focus on? It, I love it so much, you know, uh, that it's almost hard to say that. It might be interesting to tell the early years of of Mon Mothma and oh, yeah. exactly mm. when and how her marriage hit the you know, hit the fan as it clearly did. To me, it yeah. seems clear. And one of the great things about Andor is they don't have to say everything outright. They are able to convey it through what's not said or um, other things. It seems like, you know, there was a time when Mom Mothma was very much in love with him. And he did something that was a screw up. And he has sort of responded to that by leading this more trivial life. But I see some signs that like he does care about her to some degree and he wishes she would see him and, yeah. you know, as he used to be. But, you know, Mon Mothma is a little more of a moral absolutist and she has to be that this rebellion doesn't run without people like that being willing to start and to risk everything um so i think that would be really fascinating to get into but uh you know i'd love to write a ton of things i mean the young cassian andor adventures with clem and marva mm. and b oh uh, more more marva would be amazing oh my god she was great i mean for me yeah. until the end of time the rebellion began the minute brasso hit that dude with her brick like <laughs> yeah. that's the start of it did you know that wasn't scripted oh really yeah no the, the actor or uh director maybe both threw it in and apparently when tony gilroy saw it he was like that's perfect yes yeah. oh it's what you would have wanted absolutely uh... <laughs> what you would have wanted um but yeah i love that show a lot i think it adds you know so much of a spectrum of where star wars might be able to go and honestly as somebody who does a lot of work with other people's intellectual property it's kind of inspiring to say like oh like this may increase the breadth of the kind of stories we get to tell yeah and i guess it it's the way that andor is written as well it, it does leave those really interesting narrative spaces for mm -hmm. people to maybe come in behind and, and fill not as you said not everything is on the screen yeah you know? but they're so yeah. good at communicating things like uh i was talking about this with somebody because the convention i did last weekend andy circus was one of the guests um i didn't get to see him but he was there anyway um but i was talking about the fact that just from watching the show you know that one kino loy 
is actually guilty of whatever he's in there for, and he feels bad about it. Yeah. And two, you know that he does have someone to go home to. Nothing even remotely to that effect is spoken by anybody at any time. You just know it from the way that Kino conducts himself yeah. and the way that he feels about the prison. You know those things. And I love that, that they're able to get even more of the story in there, that people have so much. The characters have real dimension to them. I mean, it's like you're saying about um, Mon Mothma's husband as well. Like, mm-hmm. the performance from... I can't remember the actor's name. He was in uh, a British show called Monica of the Glen many years ago. Oh. But um, his performance is so good, you can see the years of bitterness and resentment just on his face. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Even it's, though it's, he's it's trying to convince her and everybody else that he's having a great time. Yeah, he is not super enjoying the life he's created for himself. Yeah, know? and um, yeah, that's fascinating. Or you, you probably heard me mention this on this dad reads, but one of the things I really love is, you know, that sequence where you realize that uh, Shandrilla marriages are arranged between yes. young teenagers. You know, and it's all been close up on these four people talking until that. And just as you realize it, there's that long shot and Leda crosses at the front of the screen. She's in the foreground, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't think about it then. But of course, that's that's foreshadowing. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just another element of the story that they don't have to say out loud. I could go on, but I will attempt to myself. <laughs> Echoes of Geode. You you mentioned earlier, Claudia, about working with other IPs. Um, uh, Another universe that you've dabbled in recently uh, is the uh, the Austin verse. You've been immersing you've been immersing yourself in 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 the world of Jane Austen. um, I have, and her characters, and and, you mixing it up a bit with a you know a little bit of agatha christie thrown in there as well so these sort of uh you've got the murder of mr wickham and more recently the late mrs willoughby Um, and how have you been enjoying diving into the austin verse i've had so much fun i cannot even tell you uh Mm. i don't think i'm the first super geeky kid who spent a lot of study halls reading like old books that nobody else was interested in, at least that you knew about around you. Because a lot of people are like, oh, is it hard to do the voice like that? And I'm like, in some ways it's a little easier. (laughs) uh, It's been delightful because the characters are so distinctive and they're both fully rooted in that place and time. And yet people from different eras, different cultures, connect to it because you know this kind of person you understand these reactions they they still hold true and of course she's wonderfully funny i can't be that funny but you know plenty of jokes even from like the 90s are not funny now uh and her stuff's more Uh than 200 years old and some of it is still hilarious still gold yeah uh and um and just little things that I've really enjoyed, like um, we don't tend to use the passive, uh, wait, not the passive voice. We don't tend to use the omniscient 
point of view much anymore. No. You're told not to, don't head hop. You know, you must yeah. be in the seat or you must have a very, very literal sort of narrator type thing. Um, Jane Austen used the omniscient because a lot of people did then. And so I yeah. got to use it and it did not take me long to realize like, this is great for comedy because you're able to set up people's expectations and misunderstandings and follow it all the way through the scene, which is really fun. And I yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. It, instead of having a mid chapter break and having to jump POV to someone else and try to backtrack a bit or, or however else you might try to manage it in that sort of closer third person style. Yeah. You know, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think you ought to use the omniscient all the time everywhere, but I, it works for this and yeah. uh, I'm enjoying being able to do that. Uh, the third book, the whole reason my time is sort of short today is that I need to get copy edits done on the book on the third book. Ooh. And once I've made a little bit more headway on this star Wars novel, I will start on the fourth. Amazing. Amazing. When is number three due? Do you know, are you able uh, to say? I, I believe we'll announce it in December. We've been announcing them right around her birthday. Yeah. Uh, and it should be out probably May of next year. I don't actually have a release date, but the okay. other two came out in May. So yeah, they've been May, haven't they? Yeah. If it's not that, it will be you know late April or early June, so somewhere in there. I just have a small cheeky question as a fellow Austin fan. Right. Have you have you seen the TV show Lost in Austin? I have. Yes. And what did you did you did you like that? Um, I enjoyed a lot of it and I yeah. thought some of their alternate takes on things were yeah. really fascinating you know um, it's quite fun isn't it yeah well you know like Wickham has a point of view that is yeah. you know uh, a little more sympathetic and you see all these things my only quibble with it was that the character the main character who's supposed to be such a huge Austin fan is then perpetually astonished by things that any even remote Austin fan would know. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, girl, get a skirt on. You gotta, you can't be running around in the jeans anymore. Uh, just little yeah. things like that. But that was, that was kind of a minor quibble, but that, I guess it was that aspect of it that took me, you know, I think otherwise I would have loved it as it is. I really, yeah. really liked it. I, also I loved had the it. same issues, but it's only really the first episode that has those issues. It does like get better. Yeah. It gets better, um, and I just, I just I had to mention it because I'm a big fan of that show, and no one knows what I'm talking about when I mention it. So I just wondered, I as you're asking right now, oh, you feel seen, it. Chris. You I feel, feel seen. seen. Yeah, I have seen it, and again, I do like a lot of the explanations that they give for other things that might be going on with the characters. I love that Elizabeth hits, you know, 21st century England and hits the ground running you know uh yeah catches up and, and the but, revelations with like georgiana and stuff like that it's very different isn't it to what you'd expect yeah yeah absolutely so uh yeah i i think it's great i mean i enjoy obviously as i'm writing austin mysteries you know i like updated versions like you know clueless uh or something like this uh yeah yeah Bridget jones's diary 10 things um, I hate about you, those kind of things. Yeah, and uh, I really like the sort of revisionist Mansfield Park. It's not perfect. I think it has a big flaw in that it tries to change Fanny's character, but in a way that doesn't make the character's decisions and demeanor make sense. 
I think. Yeah. But the fact that they really look at the fact that Mansfield Park's wealth comes from slave plantations and yeah. what's really going on with Mariah uh, and the breakup of her marriage. Uh, I, I think that's extraordinarily well done. So uh, what I'm saying is, generally speaking, I'm very into alternate takes. Uh, now, Netflix's persuasion, we will not address at this time. Yeah, that one's not the correct. <laughs> did, did, did you see the most recent BBC adaptation of Great Expectations? No, I haven't. Because that basically takes a, quite a harsh, extremely adult look mm. at that story, which obviously lends quite well to Dickens being you know, with CD characters and stuff like that. But if, if you do like that thing, I'd recommend to check it out. I did see the really gritty Oliver Twist. Oh, yeah. It, that was not, that was not great. No, because that has to be, that has to be fantasy, doesn't it? Oliver Twist, that's the whole point. Well, it's um, just, they kind of went with it like, oh, look, this, now Oliver's been shot. I was like, I don't remember Oliver being shot. <laughs> like, like, they just went whatever. Also, I think that was one of the breakout roles for Tom Hardy. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, and I was like, it is bad news when like somebody that magnetic is in that small and that terrible a role. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, I want to know more about what Bill Sykes is doing. Like that should not be the feeling you're walking away from Oliver Twist with. No, of course not. Absolutely. Um, but going back to the uh, yeah the yeah, the books, the Austin and the Agatha Christie. Obviously, there's a big sense of mystery in in these. So. Is, is, is there any way you think that could be translated to bring it back to Star Wars, to Star Wars? And do you think what um, mysteries do you think are, are there to explore? I don't know. Ooh. I mean, I've thought about it. Um, like one of my pet projects in my brain, that will, and it will probably never happen, but I would love to do like the ancient Jedi temple name of the rose. Ooh. Okay. You know, with, yeah. uh, you know, because you have the, the monk and the, and the um, younger monk, you could have a master and apprentice going to this temple and discovering these things. Uh, I think that would be fascinating. And and I love even that little bit in Knights of the Old Republic where you have to just stop and solve a murder mystery. Oh, yes. In the middle of everything else you're uh -huh. doing. It's like, no, now... That's one of my Figure it's one of my favorite out. parts of that game. Like, yeah. you, you, spend, you spend half an hour doing your own little uh, legal drama. Yeah, the side quests are so random. Or like you need to dance with that girl for her audition. You know? <laughs> um, if she needs somebody on your dance team, like I love the fact yeah. that it's just so random. Um, or playing Pazak or whatever. But um, yeah, it would be it would be an interesting thing to do. Of course, you have different technologies available, and you'd have to figure out what they have and what they don't have, and how to tell a story, a mystery, in a place and time where a lot of things can be tracked and determined. But maybe aren't. I don't yeah. know. It would be fun well, to do. Right now, mine yeah. is mostly the name of the rose thoughts about it, but yeah. I mean, I, I guess they're opening up the dawn of the Jedi era for this new movie in a couple yeah. of years' time. So you know, they're going way back there, 25,000 years. So there might be some kind of space. Yeah, yeah. Way back, and, way back. You know, and I, I certainly hope that... Uh, I, I really hope that they do something with Knights of the Old Republic. I, I feel like it's inevitable. The question is what and when. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before we, we start to wrap up then, Claudia... 
if you could recommend one Star Wars book to folk who haven't read the books before, uh, what would that um, be? There are several that I enjoy a lot. The most recent one, the one that would probably stir people to, is The Princess and the Scoundrel. About yes, Han and man. Leia. Pretty much even a casual fan knows and likes Han and Leia. Um, and also, that was a book that, you know, at first I thought, like, I was going to be like, oh, why didn't I get to write this? But I thought Beth Revis just knocked it out of the park. And it feels, mm. you know, if I had gotten to do it, I think it would have felt and sounded a lot like that. And that's my own, you know personal selfish fan perspective but i i think it's i think it's really lovely and really captures the those two characters and their yeah. romance very nicely it, it's wonderful every time she hit me with a new with a new metaphor for the beauty that can be found in fragile and temporary things yes in the in the context of a story about han and leia's relationship it's just kind of oh it, it was wonderful yeah absolutely wonderful stuff it would have been nice to have a third a layer book from yourself though uh, to round out the trilogy yeah i mean i hope to get to write her again someday i've already expressed that after this high republic book again i enjoy doing this but i miss the rest of star wars and uh i really want to write some other things so we'll see if and when that gets to happen no of course i mean i i was um i always had a, a dream that you would get to tell this story of um teenage ben solo and how leia deals with that about what happens yeah. with him that would yeah be that would be fascinating but that also strikes me as something that movie and tv are going to keep yeah in their vault. probably ring fenced for a little while longer mm -hmm. but i mean on on this leads on to our, our last question it's a bit of a fun one so just you don't you know okay. say what you want to but if you could pitch and write any star wars story from any era using any characters what would what would be your dream book that you'd like to pitch or story I mean, my dream pitch, I think this is another thing that movie and TV firmly have their foot on, so I can tell you because I don't think yeah. there's any chance of it. But I would love to do Young Obi-Wan and Satine. Uh, oh, yes. I please. I would love please. to do that, that time on Mandalore and what happened. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I think tons of people are really eager for that. I love writing Obi-Wan. I love writing Qui-Gon. And I think Qui-Gon's reactions to this would be really mm -hmm. fascinating to get into. Um, Mandalore, of course, is always a good time. Uh, we probably have younger Bo-Katan around, all of these things. So yeah, that would really be the dream. But again, I, I think that's, I, I think that will either be like a movie or a TV show or an animated series or something. But if I could yeah. get my hands on it, I would. Well, we, we want you to get your hands on it. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's no joke, actually. We've spoken about this a few times. We, we have. And, we have. <laughs> and Johnny always says his most wanted book is Obi-Wan and Satine by Claudia Gray. Every single yep. time. Uh, Absolutely. It, it's a much desired story. But, uh, yeah. you know, I asked even back with Master and Apprentice, like I tried to kind of, you know, sneak around yeah. over to it. And they were like, no so yeah um... <laughs> well, I, I mean i, I guess I, I i'm still just hoping against hope that maybe they're just kind of ring fencing it until they've they know exactly what they're doing backstory wise with all yeah, the I other mean, things that are going on have a project in mind 
that they ultimately decide against or something like that. I don't know, but uh, for now, yeah. it remains just my dream. Well, ours too. Ours too. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia, thank you so much for for being so generous with your time we, we appreciate that you are really really busy <laughs> uh, but it, it has been wonderful talking to you uh, we'd better let you get back to uh to getting the third mystery. jane austen mystery yeah that caught bo- me to get done yesterday so i'm on it but thank you guys <laughs> this has been really fun So that was the lovely Claudia Gray. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, wow. And there's a bit to unpack there, isn't it? <laughs> Just one or two things. Just one or two small things. Um, namely, the fact that she acknowledged the everyone is a teen story. Everyone wants her oh, to write. That was my nice. goodness. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, I know we, we know it's not happening, and it's certainly, certainly not happening anytime soon. But it's nice to know that she's on the same page as so many of us. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It also make, it gives me hope that they are doing something with that story then, or they have plans to potentially do something with that yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to see that story on the screen. I'm not particularly interested in seeing... I don't know how they'd pull it off on screen, unless it was yeah. in animation. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, then... it would work in animation, because obviously that's that's the origins of those characters, aren't they? It is, but I also think that the story probably merits an emotional weight that traditionally we haven't really seen in those shows. At least in at least in terms of romantic relationships and interpersonal relationships. This is why this is the movie that Studio Ghibli gets to make. I mean, then I'm in. That yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because they they did that little Grogu thing, didn't they? That is true. That is true. So I'd 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 be all up for that. Mm. Yeah, I just want Claudia to write it. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I I really want Claudia. Like I said in the interview, I really want Claudia to write the story of Leia being a mother and the fall of Ben Solo. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't I don't know how they can do that in live action unless they recast. You know, because I suppose they could recast as like a teenage. Kind yeah, of couldn't they? Yeah, but I, I guess I think I think I think from her perspective that is sitting squarely in that. New Republic heading into Rise of the First Order era that she she got to dabble in with Bloodline, but I guess until they nail down and finish all these stories that they're telling on the screen in the New Republic, I just yeah. wonder how much story content we're going to see on the page that fits into that part of the timeline. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge one small thing as well, which is not it's not a mistake by Chloe at all. It's probably I wasn't clear enough. Um, there's a moment in the interview where I suggested that Ransom Castafo um, yes. would become yeah. the new the Republic Chancellor. Chancellor, but I think she thought I said Nash Windrider. Yeah, she she went back to Nash there for a second. Yeah, yeah. obviously, which doesn't make sense at all. So her like, yeah, good reaction absolutely <laughs> makes sense because that's a terrible suggestion. Yeah, yeah, she's like, yeah, you're talking like your arse, but I'm gonna have yeah, to exactly. Yeah. She's polite about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. She didn't miss a beat. Yeah. I was I, I was also fascinated by this idea of um, sort of the the Jedi monks on a murder mystery thing channeling um, the, in the name of the rose that that sort of thing that that yeah that's pretty cool yeah I, man I mean honestly I will take anything that Claudia Gray writes any day of the week now you know will you allow me to speculate 
speculate away. So obviously, we only the interview you heard is the only conversation we had with Claudia Gray because, like, like Johnny mentioned, um, she was tight for time. So th- this isn't coming from anything that we've heard or anything like that. Mm. But if I'm allowed to speculate that Claudia's mention uh, um, of Lost Stars and bringing it up as prominently as she did, and the fact that she mentioned Nash Windrider, who was a secondary character in that book, mm. she's she, she suggests thinking... something. Mm. You know? She's definitely been thinking about Nash Windrider and what he might be up to in the years yeah. after the, the Battle of Endor, for sure, the Battle for Jakku. Rather. Yeah, but for Chiku um, and Endor. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> so is I, I think, very interesting. I think if we do get a sequel to Lost Stars, I don't think that maybe it will follow Thane and Sienna. I think it will follow Nash. I think that makes... It makes sense to me to not try to do an out-and-out sequel to Lost Stars. And it, it no. certainly makes sense to me that, that it wouldn't necessarily be a YA book. That what, what, why, we, we, where we, else we want to catch up with story? these characters. We, yeah, we want to catch up with these stories, maybe these characters a little further down the line. And they're not really, you know, they're not in that classic YA age bracket anymore. And, you know, they're, they're a bit further on in their lives and their lives have taken this very difficult turn um, with everything that's happened. Um, I, I'd love to see those two main characters for sure. But e- equally, yeah, if... It, it, it's it's a clever way of doing it, isn't it? Because then you can mm. you can tell the story that people want to tell. You can give closure to Thane and Tiana fan, fans without putting the spotlight on them, not not yeah. making them carry a story and potentially undoing the narrative yeah. that you created in the first book. Yeah, you can have agreed. just a few scenes with them. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah. I I'd like to see more than that, though. I guess I, I would like to see, I would like to see them at a heart at the heart of a story. Yeah, I, I maybe, just... maybe it's mm. her murder. Maybe that's the murder mystery. <laughs> Can you imagine how the uproar from well, fans? S- s- scene one: Sienna is dead. Yeah, God, <laughs> that would be that, wow. that's that, that would be like the Alien Three uh, for the Star Wars book uh, fans. Yeah, that that would be it. It would be r- for, for people not understanding that reference. It's because two of the main characters in the previous movie were dead at the beginning of the next one. Yep. Thus invalidating all the strife of the previous movie. <laughs> yeah, ish, ish. I've, ish. I've got, I've got a soft spot for really. No, so do I. Yeah. But in terms of <laughs> yeah, the no, aliens, it's not I good. Know. No, no. Um, but yeah, no, that was a good chat. It was a good chat that was. Mm, yeah, yeah. She, she, she's, she's absolutely lovely. Um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I, I had a lovely chat with her as well at Celebration. We were both lucky enough to meet her there as yes. well. And she, she indulged me for several minutes as we talked about uh, the Celtic-coded planet Pramarth that she introduced in Bloodline, um, which uh, is, is very near and dear to my heart. And, and actually, she was telling me that she, she based some of it not only on Scotland, but on parts of the Northern Irish coastline that I'm very familiar with from home. So... I think for my brief minutes that I spoke to her, I just gushed about Ransom Castafo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right up her street. She seems to love the guy. Yeah, he is. He's he's got he's up there with Ray Sloan, in my opinion, and Afra as like the best mm. canon book only characters, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, he's a really strong character. I I re listened to Bloodline again earlier this year, and particularly for me, those early scenes between 
Ransom and Leia with, with their butting heads. And, yeah, the centrist know, and the other. Yeah, the where they really feel like they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, really, and he collects really well um, Empire memorabilia, kind of, yeah. like, kind of like the Nazi memorabilia collectors. Exactly, it'd be like a liberal politician walking into the office of uh, their opposite number and the opposite party to find their Nazi memorabilia collection on the wall. You yeah, know? that's that's exactly what happens in that story. It's exactly what happens in that scene. Um, that book is so good it's so good and yet she makes you care for this guy and actually yeah yeah oh yeah no that their relationship and how how it develops throughout that book and how naturally it develops and just the layers of pun intended the layers of um character that are on display are crazy i mean it's it's the direct opposite to the reaction to uh zero in ahsoka like we were saying the other day how you know, uh-huh. he's got to be evil because he has different points of view. I mean, this is this this is the um, you know, Ransom Castillo is even more on paper yeah. potentially a bad guy, but he totally isn't. But th- this is the beauty of being able to tell these stories on the page with you know, two hundred and fifty three hundred pages worth of story to, yeah. to, to to let characters breathe and you get to know them and you see them as three-dimensional you know it's, it's one of the reasons i I just i want that obi-wan and satine thing on the page i want it to be done i want justice to be done to it and not sort of zipping through it at 90 to 120 minutes or whatever i do wish we asked her what she thought of ahsoka though so claudia if if, if you're listening to this just let us know what you thought of ahsoka because <laughs> i forgot to ask you well yeah well i, I guess we, yeah i, I I guess we don't want to put her on the spot. She she may be avoiding conversations about struck works or something. You never know. Yeah, I mean that's that thing's out there, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I think I think it still applies. I can't remember what the current union guidance is. Or she or she doesn't want to be like I hated it. There's always <laughs> then, that possibility. There's always that possibility. Alienated fan base, you know. Mm. But anyway, yeah, great chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we could gush for the next half hour about, about Claudia, but we'd better wrap up the episode. Um, Chris, why don't you let the folks listening know where they can find you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram as SW Book Collector. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. They're the main two places I do my thing. So by all means, if you don't follow me, then please give me a little follow, please. I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should. Yeah. If you don't, why not? And Johnny, where can people find you? Uh, if, if folk really want to find me, they can find me on Instagram or threads as at Journals of the Wills. That's journals with an S and wills with an itch. Uh, and of course, you can reach out to all of us here at the Star Wars Book Community Podcast team uh, on all the usual social media channels. And there you are looking for at SWBC Podcast, wherever you go. What's coming up next week, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> because <laughs> i don't know when we're going to publish this can i just yeah. add one quick thing actually please uh-huh um because i think we may have referenced it in other episodes so if anyone was listening to this we did interview lydia kang yes we did um and it was an incredible interview but we lost all the audio yes so apologies i can't bring myself to ask her again because it was such a good interview so if you're waiting for that interview i apologize we did we have got some bits of it and i think we are going to try and salvage it into reels or sound bites or something yeah. yeah because it really was something special and she was such a wonderful wonderful guest 
Um, so if you were waiting for that one, I apologize. It's yeah, and yeah. worst worst comes to the worst. We'll talk to her again in the future, and maybe Morgan and I'll do it so that she doesn't remember you and Dan as those people who never published the interview that she did with. Yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, though, go listen to my interview that I did. I'm joking with her. On my own thing, but anyway, yeah. Well, where, where, where is that, Chris? Why not let, let folk know where that is? That is on Fanfatrax, one of the biggest Fanfatrax. UK fan sites. So they've got a podcast, and it's called Cannon Fodder. Mm. So it's like the, it's not as updated. I think they do have plans to make it more regular. But there was I interviewed Sam Mags and Lydia Kang for them. So just go on Google Fanfatrax, and you'll find it in the podcast. Yeah, run by the great Mark Newbold. Who oh yeah, he's a wonderful, lovely wonderful guy. Human. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. Alrighty, that's going to do it, folks. Um, We will catch you next time on the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Bye. Bye.